0: we are so sorry about the ads. They are a nightmare in every way. But with your donations, we can get rid
1: of ads someday. Beautiful, Kevin. Mm, thanks, Rob. Bach and Harnick are smiling <laughs> so your big hearts right out. now. <laughs> Friends, yes, we are back with a new plea, much like those adorable puppets from Avenue Q. We are asking for you to give us your money. <laughs> for those of you who have headed over to Patreon to throw a little money our way, we thank you so much from the bottom of our hearts. Your contributions are the only budget we have for this show and it provided us a new soundboard and better studio space, so a thank you. Thank you. And as you know, nothing is more
0: fulfilling than talking to the legends of Broadway and hearing them share their thoughts, wisdom, and talents
1: with all of us. However, it does cost money. And if you want to help us keep the show going, please head over to Patreon.com That's P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com. Search for Behind the Curtain and you can give as little as a dollar a month and trust me, that dollar will help us more than you will ever know.
0: Plus, for certain monetary donations, you will get to pick your favorite thing and have advanced knowledge of our future guests so you can ask the
1: legends your own questions. Ooh. Or you can simply leave canned goods and an original cast recording of How Now Dow Jones outside our doors if you don't want to contribute on Patreon.com. Truth. So once again, please
0: head over to Patreon.com. That's P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com
1: to help us out. Thanks. Thank you. Hi, I'm Rob Schneider. And I'm Kevin David Thomas. And this is Behind the Curtain, Broadway's Living Legends. Don't forget to follow us on Twitter at Broadway Curtain. And make sure to join our Facebook page at Behind the Curtain, Broadway's Living Legends.
0: And follow us on Instagram at Broadway Curtain Podcast. Plus, you can always listen to our podcasts
1: on Broadway World and Stitcher. Elvis Presley, Ann (laughs) Margaret, Steven Spielberg, Mike Nichols, Elaine May, Diana Ross, Barbara Streisand, B. Arthur. Those are just some of the many, many legends that today's guest has collaborated with with, that's a new word, collaborated, collaborated (laughs) with in his 50-plus year career in the music and theater industry.
0: While many folks know him as the man who gave musical life to such TV shows as Columbo, Night Gallery, Rhoda, and films like Up the Sandbox, The Legend of Lizzie Borden, Helter Skelter, Scavenger Hunt, and The Last... Of Sheila. His work in the world of musical theater is just as well known, including the shows
1: Let It Ride, 110 in the Shade, High Spirits, Ballroom, and B. Arthur on Broadway. Ooh, to tell us what it was like to work with all of those incredible legends and to tell us how he learned comic timing from B. Arthur, here is one of the industry's most beloved composers, Billy Goldenberg.
2: Uh Hello. <laughs> it's really amazing to me that you mention about comic timing because uh, I thought that was a story, actually, that I've only told a few people. <laughs>
1: we, oh. we, we try to do our research. Word does travel to us. You did
2: very us. good research.
1: Oh, thank you. So <laughs> would you tell us the story of how you I learned comic story.
2: OK. Well, B. Arthur and I were best friends. And uh, actually, when we began the show, I thought it was just going to be Arthur um, be singing and me playing the piano. And uh, the very first uh, show we did was in Westport, Connecticut, at the White Barn Theater that was run by Donald Sadler. Oh. And uh, so, so anyway, Donald directed the show. We had never had a director of it. Uh, it was uh, a kind of a hybrid, really, because we wrote it ourselves. We knew each other so well that uh, it turned out that none of the writers that we interviewed really uh, could write it as we could because we could make it organic based on our friendship and uh all the little stories, and uh, I knew all the jokes by that time. <laughs> uh, but I was also uh, introduced to a lot of new ones, too, from yeah. her every day. But uh, comic timing, that's uh, a, a wonderful issue for me. Uh, i The first time that we ran through the show for Donald... He came up to the stage, and he said to me, Billy, you're terrible. And I said, what's the trouble? He said, well, you have to remember that two of you are in front of an audience, and they are looking at two people, not one. (laughs) So you have to stop looking at the piano and uh, uh, be a performer. I said well I've never been a performer before and he said what are you going to do I said teach me Donald what's uh, the first thing about a performer he said well the most important thing is reacting he did not know what a monster he was creating.
1: <laughs>
2: <laughs> I found this really fascinating. And as I say, B and I were so close anyway. I mean, we was hardly a problem. Uh, I first decided, well, I don't want to be like Ed McMahon was uh, or all those people that, uh, you know... Uh, uh, not as approval to Johnny Carson or Jack Bahar. Right. I mean, that's really boring, and uh, we were a theater piece. So anyway, I looked at B, and after a while, I kind of developed a character. Uh, I wasn't just shaking my head, but I was looking at her at with a slight hint of disapproval because she was outrageous anyway. Uh, it was a strong part of her personality, and uh, which, of course, came out on The Golden Girls and all the things uh, she did. So anyway, this seemed to work for me. Uh, she would say something to the audience which uh, I didn't approve of, so it was like she was the liberal and I was a conservative. <laughs> and uh, this really, you know, uh, served me well, because the reactions would be uh, either negative, well, usually negative. And um, <clears throat> I tried very hard not to mark Um but uh, as a matter of fact, Angela Lansbury, uh, who was a good friend of hers, uh, she warned me about that, <laughs> and uh, so I I just would express my disapproval in various ways. I turned my head, or you know, there would just be a look a look of question on my face, or I would put my hand on my forehead and say, "Oh my God." It would be that kind of thing. So after a while, I was a little surprised because each time I did it, I was getting laughs. And the audience loved the duality of uh, the show. And the other thing was, uh, we were not afraid to talk to each other. Uh, You know, uh, we would be playing a song and then she would stop. And she'd say, Billy, I forgot the next lyric. You must know it. I said, I don't know it, because I've I memorized the whole show. And and I don't have a piece of music in front of me. Oh, come on, but you're the star, you <laughs> know? And um, so we would go on. She'd get angry. I'd get angry. The audience thought it was part of the show. And they loved whenever those things happened. Anyway, uh, our director, Mark Waldrop, our our eventual director, uh, Donald really couldn't make it because he was busy with other things, but Mark was absolutely wonderful. Uh, First of all, he wasn't at all afraid of me, and he um, (coughs) so he gave her notes all of the time, and she loved it because she was being treated as an actress. Uh, She didn't consider herself a comedian. Uh, She was uh, an actress. On our tour, he came up to me. He said, you know, at the very end of the show, when B walks up to the microphone Mm and she says, and now I'd like to do something that I vowed I would never do, which is the man in the moon is a lady, and we hadn't done it during the entire show, so uh, she would walk over to the piano upstage and uh, whisper in my ear, and then go back to the microphone and sing the song. Well, anyway, Mark said, it would be very funny if you said, uh, you're not serious. So the first night when we tried it out, uh, she came, whispered in my ear, and I said, you're not serious. Nothing. No laugh, nothing. So after the show, I said, Mark, that doesn't seem to be working he says, don't worry, you'll find it. He trusted me. Uh, so anyway, the, the second night, uh, she whispered in my ear and then started walking down stage. And I looked at her with a, a air of disapproval. Nothing. The third night... I tried something, and I frankly don't know why I did it. I just had an instinct about it. She whispered in my ear. <clears throat> I said nothing, and then I wa- watched her walk downstage towards the microphone. About three-quarters of the way, I said to her, you're not serious, and the whole audience erupted. So uh, I said, well, I found it." And after that, uh, we took our bows, and we walked off the stage. And she stopped for a moment and turned to me and said, darling, you have found the secret of comedy. I said, what's that? She said, timing. (laughs) <laughs> That's great. So I was getting it from the master of time. Yeah, you are you indeed. Know, and I learned about that. How did you two first meet each other? <laughs> uh, we met actually in 1981 um, at an ACLU benefit in Los Angeles at the Dorothy Chandler uh, Pavilion. Marilyn and Alan Bergman were producing it, And um, the idea of the the benefit was to have each composer that had worked with Marilyn Allen come on this stage and either accompany uh, an artist or, uh, or conduct the orchestra. So uh, there was quite a uh, group of people. Uh, The hostess of the evening was Barbara Streisand. Oh, my. And uh, I had worked with Barbara Streisand as her accompanist and assistant musical director when she was 21 on My Name is Barbara with Peter Matz uh, the musical director, it was directed by Joe Layton. Right. Anyway, so uh, Barbara and I knew each other quite well. And um, so the Bergmans chose uh, three songs for R.B. to sing. And uh, those songs were Who Gave You Permission?, a terrific band, and a real nice crowd, and 50%.
1: Three songs from
2: Ballroom, right. uh, Actually, three songs from Ballroom, who gave the permission that was in the original version, uh, which was on television, and then for a while it was in the out-of-town version, but Michael Bennett took it out of the show, and uh, nobody knew it after that. So anyway, uh, but after Michael died, we restored it in, in other productions. Um, <clears throat> enough said about Michael. But uh, anyway, um, uh, we were at this uh, benefit in 1981 and I had never met B.B. before. Uh, but we uh, we started rehearsing these three songs mm-hmm. in our house, uh, which was uh, right off Sunset Boulevard. Uh, and um, mm-hmm. so I got, that's when I really got to know her. So I taught her the three songs, and she was very, very quick. I, I had no idea that she was as musical And she was, but she loved to sing. Mm. That was really her favorite thing. So anyway, we rehearsed the songs, and she was brilliant. And uh, I had wished, frankly, that she had done the show originally, and uh, it would have been quite wonderful well, we walked off the stage together and Barbara was waving in the wings and she, she, she grabbed me and she said, so why did you, didn't it sound like that in the Broadway show? Oh. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> I said, exactly. Mm. <laughs> uh, so then the next night I got a phone call from B. She said, they're coming to dinner, and I don't care what you have planned. <clears throat> so I said, as a matter of fact, no, I don't have any anything planned. What are you making? She said, she says, I'm making my famous lamb. Um, the lamb recipe that she made, by the way, did find its way into our show. Yeah. If you remember, it was the opening of the show, <clears throat> Anyway, I went over to her house, and uh, we became best friends. Let me ask
1: you, uh, how did you first fall in love with composition?
2: Uh, I was five years old. Uh, I was... Actually, I started playing piano when I was four, and... um, I found that I liked to sit down at the piano and make up things. Mm. And uh, my sister, who was three years younger than me, uh, as I grew older, uh, she used to sit down at the piano and she would make up uh, lyrics to the songs that I was writing. And uh, uh, After a while, there were quite, quite a bit. And then I had an aunt who would come in every other weekend to see musical shows. She loved musical shows. So I saw everything. I went to One Touch of Venus with um, John Bowles and Mary Martin. Uh, I went to Oklahoma, the original one. Uh, the King and I uh, fell in love with Rodgers and Hammerstein, and so everything I wrote after that sounded like Richard Rodgers. Yeah, but, of course. And um, But I loved it, you know, and uh, what used to happen is uh, we had, uh, my family had a two-bedroom apartment in, in Astoria, Queens, oh. And uh, I had, no, they had a three-bedroom, I'm sorry. But, uh, my sister had one room, I had one room, and my parents had the other. But all the bedrooms were right off of the living room where there was a, uh, an upright piano, a crack hour, as I remember. And um, so at 3 o'clock in the morning, if... Uh, My parents were having company. Uh, They would come in and wake me up and say, come out and play the piano for my guests. (laughs) Well, at first, you know, I thought, oh, no, no, not this, you know. But after a while, I got friendly with the guests, and next thing I knew, it was like 5 in the morning, and they were giving me requests and all kinds of things. I'll skip forward to Queen of the Stardust Ballroom, because it relates. OK. Uh,
0: this is the film that Ballroom was eventually been yes. based on. You wrote the musical. In
2: 1975, we did Queen of the Stardust Ballroom, starring Maureen Stapleton and Charles Durning. And Alan Marilyn Bergman uh, wrote the lyrics. I wrote the music. And uh, Sam Osteen uh, directed it. He was Mike Nichols' film editor, actually, eventually. Did you always intend for Queen of the
1: Stardust Ballroom to get on stage, or did you just think it was going to be a TV movie and that was the end of it?
2: We thought it was going to be a TV movie, Uh, Do you want to hear the story of how it became a musical? Yes, please. Mm -hmm. Okay. Um, Well, Jerry Cass, who wrote Queen of the Stardust Ballroom... By the way, Queen of the Stardust uh, It was a true story because it was about Jerry's mother. Oh. And he only found out that she was a dancer and had an affair at her funeral. His sister told him about the, uh, the whole thing. And as a matter of fact, uh, her beau was at the funeral, uh, but he didn't join the group. And uh, he was standing in the back by a tree. and. Uh, the sister pointed him out, and we both went and talked to him, and uh, you know, told him what we were going to do, and mm-hmm. so forth. And anyway, um, uh, getting back to uh, how it was turned into a musical, Jerry got a an assignment at Universal to do a film for Betmiser. And uh, Michael Bennett was hired by Universal to do Chorus Line as a film. and uh, But uh, they were not going to do Chorus Line immediately, but they did uh, fly Michael out Michael had an office but uh, and a parking space, but uh, he had nothing to do. And um, Jerry was assigned to the movie for Beth Midler. So anyway, uh, the two of them became very close. And um, Michael said, you know, I don't really like it here very much. I mean, you know, sometimes people, they park in my parking space, you know, and it, it all seems like a, a company, and I, I don't get the feeling of theater here. Mm. And um, I think I'm going to quit. Um, do you have any ideas for musicals? So Jerry said, well, as a matter of fact, I do. I just did one on television, and uh, I can show you a DVD of it. So, uh, uh, Oh, no. In, in those days, it was a video because This is true. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so he showed it to Michael, and Michael went wild. He said, let's do it. We'll do it like chorus line in New York. Uh, In a workshop, I've just bought a building at 893 Broadway, and I'm converting it into studios. So you'll be the first musical in there. And uh, so for a year, we workshopped Ballroom, and Michael kept auditioning star after star, uh, for the part, and kept turning them down. I mean, the first one was Dolores Gray. Oh, and yes. she had, I mean, the voice of God. She could
0: sing anything. Oh, yeah.
2: I loved her, because she, you know, she was such a wonderful singer. Yes. But for some odd reason, Michael and Dolores didn't get along. No. So he fired her. <laughs> so... Anyway, uh, there was a long list of people, uh, and is this
0: well they were uh, forgive me to interrupt, but like, would she have been rehearsing for a couple of weeks oh, yes. before they fired yeah fire, it wasn't just one audition, they fired her, but yeah. they just right. through the, and what what would you work on in a workshop for a year? Or was it just piece by piece trying to figure out well, the
2: well, there you have it,
0: <laughs> actually. It works yeah. with a chorus line because it's just a bunch of dancers' stories, but with a, a through a, an actual arc storyline, I just wonder, what do you,
2: how do you do that? That is the best question, uh, really, in the world. Mm. Uh, this show did not need to be workshopped. Uh, Michael was used to that, and the first thing Michael said, I remember, was, I am the only one who really knows how to do musicals. Uh, he was not shy. Mm-hmm. And uh, he was king of Broadway at that point, right. And you knew it. Um, I mean, he ended up uh, being the angel and sole producer and director of that show, which I don't think was a good idea. Uh, but... Uh, I suppose it's sacrilegious to say this, but uh, I don't think he did much directing. Mm -hmm. But he was uh, always working with uh, uh, the dancers every day. He and Bob Avian uh, would be teaching the dancers various things uh, and various dance. And the dance, dancers were uh, quite wonderful. Um, Michael did have a problem. Uh, it's well. Sometimes it has been well, discussed before on this podcast. Okay, he uh, was high a lot of the time. I mean, really high. <laughs> and um, the dancers used to have a meeting every morning to figure out what he was high on. And um, often I would get a call at 2.30 in the morning from Michael, and he would say, you've got to come right down to the studio now because I have an idea for the opening. So I would get dressed, and I was living on 86th Street, and I went down to 20th and Broadway, And there was Bob Avian and a couple of uh, Bob's assistants. And um, I remember Michael came up with a wonderful, wonderful opening. Uh, As a matter of fact, we ended up writing a song called My Father. Uh, But uh, this opening was uh, the entire cast... Uh, they were all dressed in their finery and uh, they were standing in a kind of a square on the stage. And uh, Michael said, Well, it's a Jewish funeral, so uh, I want them all to be singing in Hebrew. So I wrote. Um, I mean, I, I knew I knew all those things too because I had a bar mitzvah and a mafta after that. And, uh, so anyway, uh, I wrote a whole. I mean, it was like um, well, it was it was a hebraic chant, and <clears throat> as as the music grew and got stronger and stronger, B came to the middle of the crowd, completely separated it into two groups, and sang, who gave you permission, which she was singing to her dead husband. Mm. And I thought it was absolutely wonderful. And just a great, great opening. And then uh, next day, I <coughs> went into Michael's office, and I said, I can't wait for you to th- teach this to the dancers. And he said, no, it's out of the show. I hate it. Just like I that. said, how can you hate it? Michael? That's the most brilliant thing I've ever seen. And he said, you're telling me it's everything I do is brilliant. <gasps> I said, well, yes, I know. I won't disagree with you. Uh, and we've been friends long enough to know that I would disagree with you. But in any case, I don't understand it. Well, the answer to that, by the way, was uh, he was high. And he was coming down. And there's nothing worse than coming down off of whatever you're on. Yeah. And so because he he was massively depressed. And uh, so we just learned some other dances. Um, Wow many, many other people. Uh, Some people came... One of the people that I liked very much, but she did not uh, dance, but uh, she came in to talk to Michael, and that was Seda Thompson, who I thought was perfect for the role. She was a wonderful actress, and it turned out she sang and danced. But... um, she spoke to Michael in the, in the office, and she wasn't afraid of him. And he sa- she said, well, it sounds like an interesting thing, but uh, I've read the script, and there are a few things I think I'd like to change. And um, I I probably will be doing a play, I think. Uh, think she had done two for the seesaw with Michael or something like that. I don't know. Anyway, um, she turned it down and that was a real shame. Uh, of the people that came in, uh, she was best. Uh, we aud- auditioned a few men and, um, now, uh, by the way, you, you may ask why didn't Maureen Stapleton do this. Uh, she didn't feel she wanted to do eight performances a week. Oh, yes. And uh, she wasn't really a theater singing she, uh, singer. She needed a microphone and a sound man and all of that. And uh, Charles, by that time, was a big movie star. And, uh, so he, um, he couldn't do it, and so we auditioned many, many different people, Uh, not particularly well-known people, but (laughs) they all had to go through, uh, several weeks of uh, dancing, and, um... They didn't really have to sing that well, because at that point, the only uh, song that the man had to sing was I Love to Dance, which was a pretty easy song. Uh, We had another song, which we liked very much, called Suddenly There's You, uh, in the television version, but Michael uh, didn't want it in the uh, in the theater version. Um, <clears throat> by the way, you may remember that the marquee always said Michael Bennett's Ballroom. Yes, he did not want this to be called Queen of the Stardust Ballroom nor did he want it in any way to be like Queen of the Stardust Ballroom. Uh, It ended up being a one-act show because Michael removed most of the um, score. Uh, And most of my music, uh, with the exception of 50%, uh, a terrific band, and, um, oh, God, I love to dance. Um, uh, The rest of it were just band singer songs, you know. And uh, and, and then a lot of the dialogue was cut. Um, Michael didn't want her to die at the end of the show, so uh, they ended up having another ending it, it, which really was just a dance. And you know uh, thank God that 50% remained in the show. Yes. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com.
1: Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.
2: Uh, I'll take. Oh, go ahead. Sorry. Yeah. Um, we were all worried that Michael might take 50 percent out of the show. The one thing he did take out was the verse. The 50. percent so an awful lot of cabaret singers who do it now uh, really have never heard the verse. And I always thought that the verse was really needed, because actually, I don't think I would have written that chorus without the verse, because I wrote the verse first, and the chorus just seemed to come naturally. I never wrote a song so quickly in my life. Wow. Uh, they uh, may, uh, they delivered by messenger uh, the um, the lyric and it was my favorite lyric in the show and i wrote it in 10 minutes oh wow <laughs> what? that's the, the verse... that's not bragging because because most of the other stuff that i wrote took a lot more than 10 minutes of course. i mean sometimes it was a day or a week right. or god knows what it's craft you know
0: yeah, is that the verse that's like, if anyone had told me that? It's, that's exactly uh, right.
2: You're right. It, it yeah. has to. That's. Yeah, that's it's yeah.
0: paired Important. with that part. Uh,
2: I had worked at one point. Uh, I'm sure you know of him, uh, David Craig. Yes, yeah, so of uh, course.
0: We've just we're talking about him on a recent episode. Oh yeah, yes. he the was great voice, the coach. I mean, we're
2: He was a coach. great vocal coach, yeah. and I was his first accompanist. And uh, in those days, um, and I'm talking now 1958. Okay. In those days, he did not have a class. He ended up, many years later, having a class. Right. But I remember uh, David always spoke words of wisdom. And he ended up writing, I believe, three books yes. uh, um, about vocal coaching. Most of our people were actors, uh, and we really had some wonderful actors uh, who were learning to sing because they were asked to sing in musicals. Uh, I have a lot of stories about a lot of those people, too. But one thing David said was, uh, when you write a verse, A chorus is inevitable. (laughs) Yes. And he was perfectly right. And so with all my songs, I always wrote the verse first. And uh, it somehow just flowed into the chorus. And um, I mean, 50% was written because of that verse, no question. Mm And it was a shame that they took the that Michael took the verse out oh, yeah. in the Broadway show. Yeah. What was it like working with Dorothy Loudon? Well, I loved Dorothy Loudon. Um, <laughs> she, first of all, um, she had a wonderful voice. She sang the, the songs wonderfully. Um, <clears throat> by the time that. Well, actually, Dorothy had left Annie to do uh, Queen of the Stardust Ballroom. And actually, she was a very good choice. But what she didn't know is she never had any direction. Uh, Of course, she learned dance steps, but uh, uh, Michael was strange. Uh, I don't think he really liked her that much. I know that when she was singing on on stage, very often he would have a whole choreographed number going on behind her. So the focus was not always on Dorothy, and it should have been. <clears throat> because she was brilliant. And she was a very good actress, but she needed a director. So um, what used to happen... Now, uh, what happened, by the way, it was a last-minute choice. He finally got Vincent Gardiner for the role of the man. Vincent was a wonderful actor, so he didn't have to be directed. Uh, he knew exactly what to do. He had done film, and uh, he was quite used to... Well, in Hollywood, most of the directors don't know how to direct. I mean, they they are cameramen. And um, you can quote me. It's okay. <laughs> <laughs> uh, at 82 years old, I don't care about anything anymore. <laughs> but um, anyway... Uh, It was, um, uh, I liked Vincent a lot, um, mainly because he knew all the gangsters in New York. He was Italian, and he loved Italian food, and I loved Italian food, and wherever he went, he could always get a table at 11 o'clock at night, so he took me with him. And I uh, went out to that place up on uh, Pleasant Avenue near 116th Reos, uh, which is a wonderful Italian restaurant and almost impossible to get a reservation for. But as soon as Vinnie showed up, of course there was a table. So we went to every Italian restaurant of note in New York. Uh, and we became a kind of a couple. And I tried in vain to teach Vinny how to sing, but it it was a lost cause. Oh. But, but he was charming. The other big problem was he and Dorothy didn't like each other. So that didn't make for a great. A um, yeah. It was a great problem on stage, and. Um, <clears throat> Um, but he acted the role, and poor, poor Dorothy did her best, and which was pretty good, I must say. But given a, a real director, she could have done a, a bang-up job, really. Mm. But what uh, we became friendly in a negative way, you know. She, uh, Dorothy was very, very emotional. She cried easily. Uh, her husband, Norman Parris, had just died. Yeah. And uh, so in a way, she was perfect for this musical, too. I mean, she definitely was that lady. And uh, so it was very realistic. But she didn't have a, a lot of stuff to do, you know. And, and there was... I don't know. She she was uh, better than, I think, what you saw on the stage. I mean, what Barbara Streisand said about B, in a sense, was a little bit cruel, um, but I, she never saw uh, the performance that I think Dorothy would have given uh, had she been directed properly. Mm-hmm. Um, very often what Michael would do would, he would call Dorothy uh, to the theater and um, he would do, he would show her what he had choreographed behind her. Um, I forget what the song was. One of the songs... It may even... Oh, well, 50% is interesting, too, that way, too. Uh, 50% uh, she did sing in one. She sang it by herself. But uh, it was never allowed to have an ending. Uh, In the show, uh, the last few notes of 50%, the entire chorus comes in and starts ballroom dancing so... We never got an applause.
0: He did the same thing in Dreamgirls with, and I'm telling you, oh with yeah, the, and he brought them yeah. he did the exact same thing. Isn't that funny? Yeah.
2: wow. But um, when Dorothy, Dorothy used to sit in the audience, and I went and sat with her, and she watched. Uh, she watched Michael choreographing. Uh, uh, the dance uh, that the dancers would do behind Dorothy singing, which was very cruel, and uh, you know, uh, she approached him on it and said, "Why do they have to do it? I yeah. mean, this is a song I should be singing by myself." And uh, he would say, "No, that's too boring, and I know how to do this." So uh, they didn't get along very well. Um, sounds like
0: he didn't really. Uh, sorry, to interrupt, but he he, he was. <laughs> you're used to hearing, uh, you know, producers and writers and directors and choreographers who collaborate a lot. It sounds like he didn't really
2: collaborate There was a lot. no collaboration. Okay, as a matter of fact, that was why the musical uh, was a flop. Mm. Uh, we knew that uh, it wasn't very good by the time it was going to open because there was no score left. Um, He had really uh, just cut the book apart. There was no book to speak of. It, It was really a show about dance numbers. And it was very interesting because that year he won the Tony for Best Choreography for Ballroom. (laughs) Marilyn Allen and I didn't even get nominated. Um, And and to tell you the truth, I kind of understand why not. I don't regret it at all. Um, There was very little score in it, and originally it was a piece that had a full score. And I remember opening night, Marilyn and I were standing in the back of the theater... And she said to me after the show uh, closed, I'm sorry, not closed, after the show was over mm-hmm. at the first night, the whole audience stood up and clapped and would not stop clapping. And uh, Marilyn gave me a funny look and she said, Billy, do you think this could possibly be a hit? I said, Marilyn, I don't know anything anymore. Mm. I am so tired. Uh, This has been a very tough year, and the first thing I'm going to do when I get back to Hollywood is call my analyst and continue, because (laughs) I really need it now. Mm. And that's what I did. My analyst, I think, saved my life. Really? Because that year was a nightmare. And... um, Many things happened because of it. I lost my voice, among other things, uh, and um, for the rest of my life, I have to take both shots uh, to uh, in my vocal cords to um, <clears throat> to speak. Uh, wow. Without those shots, I wouldn't be able to speak to you right now. You lost your voice due to screaming, or not screaming. Uh, it was emotional. Mm-hmm. Oh. It was emotional. As a matter of fact, uh, Donna McKechnie at one point uh, lost uh, her um, her ability to move. She wrote a book about it. Yeah. Um, and uh, be, because it was so traumatic for her, you know, that, that whole thing... Um, chorus line mm-hmm. and uh, all of that. So everybody suffered a little bit afterwards. And uh, you you talked, uh, Kevin? Yes, yeah. Kevin talked about uh, collaboration. You asked very good questions. <laughs> Thank um, you. I think the problem with Ballroom was that there was no collaboration. Uh, Marilyn Allen and Michael were not speaking to each other. So, and I think this is the reason for my losing my voice, Uh, when Michael wanted to ask Marilyn Allen uh, to write a specific lyric, he would tell me, tell this to Marilyn Allen. I would go and tell it to Marilyn Allen they would then answer me, and uh, or they would do the lyric, uh, and then they say, "Take the lyric back to Michael, see if he likes it." So, I did a really stupid thing. Mm. <clears throat> you should not be a middleman. Mm. Uh, I I thought I'm really in the middle here. I'm, I'm on the one hand as the most famous director on Broadway. And on the other hand, I have lyricists who are uh, uh, multi-academy award winners. And uh, who am I? Hmm. That's really it. And uh, it's finally about 50%, because 50%, I think, has kept the show alive.
0: Yes, definitely.
2: And... <clears throat> The good thing is when they've done revivals of it, uh, the directors have always had the good sense to make adjustments mm-hmm. and change things, uh, which they're allowed to do out of town. And I've seen a lot of the productions, and and have been uh, uh, very, very, been very, been, been very positive about what they've done. The last one being in England, by the way, which I think was the best one I ever saw. Mm. That's marvelous. That's wonderful.
0: Do you want to ask a little bit about Dance Arranger? Yeah, I'd like to just go back in time a little bit. Uh, So you worked on Let It Ride with Anna White as Dance Arranger, 110 The Shame with Agustin Mill, High Spirits with Danny Daniels, and then Henry Sweet Henry with Michael Bennett. So, can you tell us a little about those adventures in dance arranging and uh, what your job was
2: like back then, doing that? Yes, I'd like to start with the last one because right. we love Henry, Sweet Henry. Well, the score. I, <laughs> I don't know so. if you. I don't know if you're going to like this story, but <laughs> you told me that I can say anything. You can so say anything you want, Billy. I will. <laughs> okay. And actually, most people don't know this story. Um, I'm. I'm trying to put it down in a book, but uh, this is a story. I've I've gone. I'm not a Facebook person, but my emails are always uh, there's always something that says somebody wants to get in touch with you or whatever. Now Michael Bennett has a great big uh, following on. Facebook, mainly having to do with Garth's line. And um, everything I read there, he's worshipped like a god. And um, so is his composer. And um, now Marvin and I go way, way back. Because at one point, I was a rehearsal pianist on Broadway, there were several of us. Uh, I was one. John Williams was another. Oh,
0: I did not know that. John Cander yes. was
2: another. Marvin Hamish was another. Right. What a great. And idea. yeah, competition. And a lot of people. No, we weren't competitors at all. As okay. a matter of fact, we all were friends. Yeah. And uh, when we saw, I would come in and play for a singer, and then John Cander who I became great friends with. I, and I'm i still in touch with John, mm. and he's the loveliest man in the world. Mm. And uh, he's still writing musicals, oh, yeah. so, which, which is incredible. Uh, I mean, his stamina. Um, but um, oh, I'll tell you, if you want to hear it, I'll tell you a wonderful John. Sorry, we, we love John Cameron. I, I called John... Uh, not too long ago, and um, I said, well, how do you feel, you know? And he said, I feel absolutely wonderful. This was a while ago. Uh, I can't tell you the year, uh, but it was right around the time Chicago opened. Now, Chicago, I'm sure you know, started at the Encores Theater, and John and, uh, uh, John and Fred had really nothing to do with it. Uh, they did it their own way. And uh, then Rob Marshall did it for Broadway. And it became an enormous hit, mm-hmm. which was wonderful for John because originally it, had, it didn't even come close to the hit that it became. And I, I said, John, you sound really happy. Why are you so happy? And uh, I said, composers are not supposed to be happy. <laughs> I mean, we're supposed to complain a lot. <laughs> you know. And uh, John said, um, Billy, you will understand this. He said, Chicago, it opened on Broadway. I had absolutely nothing to do with it. It opened as a movie. I had absolutely nothing to do it, so I didn't have to go to the damn rehearsals or um, be at there. All I had to do was stay home and collect the checks. <laughs> <laughs> well deserved, John. Yes, That's a happy well composer. Deserved. Happy composer indeed. I was so happy about it. <laughs> anyway, getting back to dance arranging. Yes, yeah, sure. And Henry Sweet Henry, Henry the Bennett. Okay, Henry Sweet Henry was the last show I did. I was very poor at that point. I didn't have any money because before Henry Sweet Henry, I had written a musical for Lincoln Center um, that was under the auspices of uh, Richard Rogers Foundation called Dandelion Wine by Ray Bradbury. And uh, it was a limited run, but uh, it was a A project that Richard Rogers started and uh, each year he gave a certain amount of money to a composer, lyricist team to put on an original musical and uh, they chose ours so we did uh, that for five performances uh, one each Sunday so we uh, would do the show Sunday night Uh, and then we would uh, make the changes and rehearse all week, and then the following Sunday night we'd do a better show. So the fifth show was the best one Mm. of all of them. Um, In any case... um, I didn't get paid, of course. Uh, we were not doing it for that reason, and uh, I, was, I gave up all my work. So uh, we worked on the show a lot, both on the coast and in New York, and uh, mm-hmm. I didn't have much of a bank account at the time. So when then Wine closed, uh, I thought, well, I don't really want to, but I wanna get back to dance arranging because at least that'll bring that'll pay the bills. Mm-hmm. So whoop. okay. That's okay. So I was lucky, I got a call from Michael Bennett. And Michael Bennett said, Are you still doing any dance arranging? I said, For you, of course. You know. So he said, Great. Because we had we had been great friends. I knew Michael when he first came to New York. Uh, I met him. He was 19 years old. Oh,
0: wow. This is like a decade, or at least a decade, before you did Ballroom. Oh, yeah, right? Yeah, way yeah, before.
2: Sure. And we were very good friends. Yeah. Um, you know, we ate together a lot. Uh, uh, we went to the theater. Uh, I was, uh, I think the most fun was... We used to go to him in the studio, and I would just play the piano, and he would make up dances. And uh, wow. that, that was before he was a choreographer. Right. But I thought he was wildly talented. Plus, I liked, I liked him. Yeah. And I liked doing what we were doing. I couldn't do that with anyone else. Mm. But um, we got a lot of joy out of that. Mm. Um, so I thought, well, this will be nice working with Michael. And uh, so I went to work as a dance arranger. Now, in the period before my uh, Henry Sweet Henry, I had learned to orchestrate. And um, I really wanted to orchestrate my own dance music. There was a regular orchestrator. As a matter of fact, we had a wonderful orchestrator on Henry Sweet Henry, Eddie Sauter. Oh, one of the greatest. Yeah, Yeah, from the Sauter Finnegan uh, uh, Orchestra uh, band. Um, But the reason I wanted to orchestrate my own music was the same thing always happened during each show. I would do a dance arrangement, give it to the orchestrator. Then we would have an orchestra rehearsal. They would play the dance music, orchestrated. The choreographer w- would run down the aisle and say, that's not the way Billy played it. Yes, yes. So I thought I can dispense with all of that nonsense and just do it because I knew all the accents and the various things. So... Um, I finished my work, and we were about to go out of town. And I went to Michael uh, and said, uh, Michael, uh, I'll start orchestrating music. And Michael said, no, you can't do that. I said, I can do that. Uh, I've done it on other shows, and uh, I just want to eliminate that thing of uh, you not particularly liking the orchestration because your accents are not there and all of that. And uh, Michael, in his usual, um, in quotes, lovable way, uh, said, darling, darling, please don't be upset. He was saying that a lot to me. And he said, you know I love you, but I can't let you do this. So I said, why, Michael? I said, come on, you're the choreographer. He said, yes, but I don't have the power to to, uh, go to Norman Twain, and the producer Mm. and tell him that because he's already hired an orchestrator. And uh, (coughs) uh, I'm not supposed to uh, work uh, uh, with anybody but the orchestrator on the final version. I said, well, then I'll go to Norman. So I went to Norman. I pleaded with Norman. Norman said, Billy, I'd like to satisfy you, but, you know, I do have a contract with Eddie. And I said, well, you know, I've even talked to Eddie. We're friends. And Eddie said, I'd love you you to do it.
0: Yeah, let's work for him.
2: (laughs) Yeah. Mm -hmm. And uh, Norman said, no, I hired an orchestrator, and he will do it. I see. Uh, So I said, well, that's too bad. So I went back to Michael. I said, Michael, I've given you, I've satisfied my commitment on this show. I've given you all the dance music. And he said, "Yes, that's right. Now we're going out of town, so uh, you know, if there are any changes and so forth, you'll work with me." I said, I won't." I said, "My contract is up. And he said, "What are you talking about?" I said, "I'm not going out of town with you." And he said, "Why? I said, "Because I'm not orchestrating my own material. And he said, but what? That's nothing. Your own material is already in the show. I said, I know, and uh, all you have to do is go to Mr. Twain and uh, tell him that. Or if you, I'll go to George Roy Hill, uh, the director. We're friends. Um, <clears throat> he said, No, no, that's that's all right. But what will I do? I said, Well, Michael, I know you are going to need someone who is a very good pianist and also is a good dance arranger. And I have just the person. I think you know the rest. So I called Marvin Hamlish, And uh, Marvin came, and he did a wonderful job. And uh, got to know Michael very well. Yeah. And we know what happened after that. Oh, my goodness. Plus, George Roy Hill was the director right. of this. Yeah. And this George Roy Hill, um, he was going to go to uh, Hollywood, do a movie called Bush Cassidy and the Sundance Kid. Right. Guess who wrote the music? Oh, my goodness. Wow. So that's my chance. Sorry. That's <laughs>
1: great. That's great. We have had such a fantastic time with you today. Yeah. This has been okay. so fun. We have to do a part two. I think we, will I too. Think we have to get you back because there's so many more people we want to ask about. Yeah. yeah. Actually, Tamman, Two is. Yes. We definitely story. want to talk about yeah. Camp Tamman. and okay. Poconos. So then we're going to do a part two with yes. Billy at okay. some point. Um, but for all of our Ballroom fans out there, I'm excited to announce that on uh, <laughs> September 4th uh, at Feinstein's 54 Below at 7 o'clock, we're doing Ballroom.
0: That's fantastic.
2: And yeah. I'm, I'm thrilled because uh, you'll be doing uh, songs that were cut out of the show oh. and songs that I, we always thought should be in the show. And Alan and Marilyn are thrilled about this too. Uh, they're... Uh, Uh, Not able to come to see the show, unfortunately, but uh, they know about this and uh, they're very happy.
1: It's wonderful. Yeah, so September 4th at Ooh. 7 o'clock, Feinstein's 54 Below, 54 Sings Ballroom. Uh, we'll announce the cast on here in the next couple of weeks, but we're lining up some really exciting people. And Billy is going to be there as well. So you can stop by Billy's table and say hello and thank you for all the amazing music that he's given us. Thank you for giving me the uh, opportunity. Yes. <laughs> thank you. Can't so, wait for okay. part two. Yeah, part two's going to be <laughs> awesome. Till next time. Bye, everybody. Good day, Mr. Thomas. Good day, Mr. Schneider. Well, it has happened. We finally hit over 100 iTunes reviews, and we'd like to thank each and every person who took the time to do so. Huzzah! Now, (laughs) we want to climb those charts even faster, and that is where you lovely folks who have not yet rated us come in. The process is very simple. On your podcast app, tap the search tab, enter our name behind the curtain, Broadway's Living Legends, tap the search key, tap our beautiful logo, Tap the reviews. Tap write a review. Then tap your way into our hearts. <laughs> tap your troubles away. It's nice, Rob. Once you are there, you can rate us from one star to five stars.
0: Think of one star as Hervé V. <laughs> Rob, how do you say this name? Hervé Villechaize. Oh dear, God. I walked right into that one. Think of one star as Hervé Villechaize and Ima Sumac in Sideshow, and five stars as front row seats to
1: the opening night of Gypsy. Buddy kiss me. Yeah, they give me for the first time. I thought that was pretty good. We want to get good reviews, Rob. We want to get good reviews. Excuse me, Arthur Lawrence. <laughs> Excuse me for trying to liven up our commercial ads a little bit.
0: <laughs>
1: Eight minute long commercial. <laughs> I. It's an infomercial at you this could... point. <laughs> I'm going to be like that lady that sells you the copper pots. Look at this. You can put 400 pounds of manure in it, and it <laughs> slides right out. Then you can make an omelet. You got another line, Kevin? Got a, got I'm a... waiting for you to say, plus you can leave a comment. Let oh, us know if liking, what you guess we're like guess what guests are like Plus, next. you can leave a comment to let us know what you are liking, what <laughs> you're not liking at this point, mm-hmm. or what guests you'd like to hear next.
0: So head on over to iTunes and let us know what you think of our
1: little show. Speaking of little, I'll tell you a story about Charles Lawton later. Thanks, guys.